Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Well, George, what assets should investors get into, say, outside of equities? I've never said this before, and I've always been a a blockchain, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin uh, uh, opponent. Uh, but if you look right now, the government can't stimulate the markets forever. The liquidity flood will end. Um, and sooner or later, the government's got to start paying for some of the stimulus for some of the deficits for some of the, the well-deserved, very smart subsidies that it's providing to people. Are they going to raise taxes that high? Or if not, are they going to print money? If they print money, uh, that debases the currency. And probably even things like TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, can be corrupted. So the very wealthy investor or the trader uh, probably turns to Bitcoin or something like it uh, as a staple. Wow, I never thought I'd hear you say that. I mean, we heard Jamie Dimon talk about Bitcoin before. Uh, Jamie's at least a partial convert. I'm not sure that he's that he's a, a, a total uh, convert. Um, and the, the notion isn't to hide or to, uh, to, to seek a, a tax refuge, but to have something that, that can't be uh, undermined by the government and that won't become worthless if the currency becomes worthless, or at least if enough Robin Hooders happen to believe that. If the Robin Hooders don't want to trade stocks as they have, where are they going to put their money? Uh, there are no yields today. And so Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency becomes a very attractive, uh, either long term, I want to make a, a, a safe uh, haven for my money or a short term speculative bet. Uh, and I think it, it's a, a good, I think it's where many people will turn uh, after Labor Day, Fred. So it's Bitcoin, huh? It is 7.52 a.m. August the 17th, 2020. This is episode 272 of Bitcoin and the Chainlink devs selling their link, bro. Got this one right off. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's not worth it, but this is actually trustnodes.com. I don't see a byline here, so we're just going to go ahead and go. Chainlink developers have sold some $40 million worth of link this month. According to our blockchain analysis of their holdings, they seem to be moving 500,000 links every week with some going to Binance while some might be going over the counter and, and then to Binance. Chainlink dev, or I'm sorry, the above address, and it shows this address, received the funds through what looks like a bot automated setup, which we will follow backwards from this link address. And then they just they basically just do an analysis of proving that some devs of link are selling or of chain link are selling their link. So if it's such if it's so great, why would the developers be selling the link? Good question, man. Good question. But let's do a little bit of community news first. Um you guys watch out for Bitcoin block number. 650,000 because it's going to be lit. I won't say much more about it, but it's going to be lit. That would be block number 650,000. That's 650,000. Stop and Decrypt has some uh, thoughts on the recent Peter McCormick uh, episode that had Vitalik Buterin and Samson Moe on it. Um, if you hadn't listened to that episode, it's, uh, I mean... Some people hate it. Some people enjoyed it. Some people got a lot out of it. I got a lot out of it in so far that just listening to Vitalik uh, talk about talk about Ethereum 
and what a node is and what a node isn't is kind of summed up in this stop and decrypt uh, uh, tweet that says, listen up, Peter McCormick, Exelon, Vitalik Buterin, and everyone effing else, I'm effing done with the term full node. I'm done with the effing adjectives, full, fast, warp, archive, eff them all. The node either fully validates the entire history or it doesn't. I have to agree. These, These terms of a node that is like a partial node or a fast sync node or a whatever node, it's like it, it really does boil down to the question, is it, is, it, is it validating the entire chain or is it not? Because if it's not, then you don't know what's going on. You, you just, you don't, okay? So uh, if, if you get a chance, you might want to listen to the Peter McCormick episode. Um, there is some pretty good stuff in there. It gets a little cringe every once in a while on kind of all th- from all three parties involved in that. But what are you going to do? I mean, it's, it's, that's going to happen. You can't just like be, I don't know. You can't, you can't do a podcast or videos or something like that without, you know, getting a little cringe. I've done it. I did it. Oh God. I did it on Friday when I suggested that AUM was the Australian dollar. You know, that's cringe because that's, that's not, it's AUD. Apparently, every time I see AU, I just think Australia. I don't know why, but AUM is 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 not the dollar. It's assets under management. Okay, so yeah, I mean, come on, let the cringe go, bro. Uh, anyway, so yeah, there's some cringe in that episode, but it's ah, if you want to get it, crawl into the mind of of Vitalik a little bit. Uh, see what his argument structures are like, then it's definitely one to one to watch. Um, and uh, Novak has something interesting to say about gold and the gold standard never coming back as far as governments are concerned. And he basically just says, why is the gold standard never coming back? Because governments have the guns. Why is Bitcoin standard possible? Because you can't shoot math. It's not that hard, folks. That's an interesting way of putting it. You can't shoot math. Probably something to think about. Probably something to think about. Now, um, as you know, I opened the show with uh, the talk uh, or the interview, well, part of the interview of Reuters of a gentleman by the name of George Ball. He's the ex-CEO of Prudential Insurance, and he... uh, (laughs) really doesn't, he never really liked Bitcoin, but now he's actually looking at it going, you know, it's completely, he's completely turned around and that's going to happen in this kind of environment that we're in. Money printers going off all over the place. Some of them are burning straight down. They're building new ones. They probably got a, a money printer that prints actual money printers. I, I don't know, but the, this kind of environment will jack you up so bad that things that you used to hate and just didn't understand, you get a real grasp of. So let's let's kind of break this what what was said down with Matthew DeSalvo. He's writing this one for decrypt.co. And this was August the 15th. Ex-CEO of Prudential Insurance, former Bitcoin hater, reconsiders. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. The Fed's endless money printing has inspired a former opponent of Bitcoin to urge investors to invest in the cryptocurrency. But Vitalik Buterin has wide, wise words for anyone getting into the DeFi craze on Ethereum. Quote, it's likely best to sit out, he tweeted yesterday in a cover-your-ass statement so he doesn't get a, an orange jumpsuit. George Ball, chairman at investment firm Sanders Morris Harris and former CEO of insurance giant Prudential, said in an interview with Reuters yesterday that Bitcoin is the safe bet for the big investor. Ball was asked how investors could make adjustments to their portfolios during uncertain times like now and ended up supporting the biggest cryptocurrency by market cap. Quote, I've never said this before, and I've always been a blockchain cryptocurrency Bitcoin opponent, he told Reuters during a video interview. But if you look right now, the government can't stimulate the markets forever. He added, quote, 
are they going to raise taxes that high? Or if not, are they going to print money? If they print money that debases the currency and probably even things like tips, treasury inflation protected securities can be corrupted, quote, so the very wealthy investor or the trader probably turns to Bitcoin or something like it as a staple. Ball's response shocked Reuters reporter Fred Katayama, who said, wow, I never thought I'd hear you say that. The bet on Bitcoin from a traditional finance bigwig comes at a time when more institutional investors than ever before are placing their bets on the asset. At the start of this week, the open interest on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange's Bitcoin futures hit a new high of $841 million. God almighty. It is thought the increased interest from traditional investors is in part due to widespread money printing of the world's central banks, which makes Bitcoin appear to be a safe bet for some. Ball's commentary comes at a time when Warren Buffett feels left less comfortable betting on banks and more on other assets. His investment firm, Berkshire Hathaway, said Friday that it had reduced its stakes in major U.S. banks, selling some 85.6 million Wells Fargo shares, which was 26% of its stake, and 35.5 million shares of J.P. Morgan, 61% of its total stake. The firm instead bet on gold, of course, acquiring nearly 21 million shares of Barrick Gold worth $563 million. But in the crypto world, Ethereum creator Vitalik Buterin made a warning to investors warning to hedge their bets on different assets, specifically decentralized finance. Quote, you do not have to participate in the latest hot DeFi thing to be an Ethereum. In fact, unless you really understand what's going on, it's likely best to sit out or participate only with very small amounts, he said on Twitter Friday. A ball said, don't get ahead of yourself. Okay. All right. So we got Warren Buffett liquidating bank shares to go into Barrick Gold, which isn't gold. It's a gold mining. Uh, that's usually where people like Warren Buffett are going to go. Uh but this this whole thing from the ex-Prudential CEO, George Ball, is very interesting because this dude, um, I tweeted out, I, I screencapped uh, part of the interview uh, and tweeted it out. And if you'll notice, you know, George Ball is, he's, he's one of the old guys, dude. He started out at a place called EF Hutton. If you recognize that name, then you're probably older than 35. Okay. EF Hutton was like the retail outlet for buying stock when you didn't know what the hell was going on. You, you didn't have things like Robin Hood. You didn't have anything like, um, you know, Merrill Lynch retail. You didn't have anything like that. Not really. And if you did, you were part of the high roller class. So EF Hutton generally speaking, was where the street, you know, the, the basic man on the street went to go buy shares of, I don't know, Ford or whatever. That's how far back this dude is. This dude is a dinosaur and has hated Bitcoin and quote unquote blockchain. And now he's like telling people to buy Bitcoin, but be aware. He actually said Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. So even he, well, not even he, I fully expect him to completely not understand the value proposition of Bitcoin compared to, well, the shit coins. So uh, Schiff, oh God, I, I love having Schiff around. He's always good for, for a good read. Uh, Bitcoinist.com's Nick Chong is writing this one yesterday. Gold bull, bull Peter Schiff still thinks Bitcoin is a fad and on its way to zero. He's been thinking that for a while. Euro Pacific Capital Chief Executive Peter Schiff is still not convinced Bitcoin is a viable investment despite the ongoing rally and the macroeconomic backdrop. On August the 15th, the investor commented, uh, quote, Buffett's decision to buy Barrett Gold and not Bitcoin or GBTC is further condemnation of Bitcoin. Buffett clearly doesn't think Bitcoin represents a threat to gold or its dominance as a safe haven asset. Buffett knows gold is here to stay and Bitcoin is just a passing fad, end quote. Schiff added in a response to a tweet from Anthony Pompliano that by 2029, you'll be lucky if the market cap of Bitcoin still exceeds the market cap of a baseball cap. You know, he really needs to stop making jokes. He's not good at it. 
Other mainstream investors begged to differ. In an August 14th interview with Reuters, George Ball, who we just talked about, the ex-chief of Prudential, promoted Bitcoin. Uh, Prudential is a Fortune 500 company that provides insurance, investment management, and other financial products and services. The company has $1.39 trillion worth under ass- or assets under management. Speaking of me screwing up on Friday. Ball, who now leads Sanders Morris-Harris, says that Bitcoin could become a safe haven in the near future. He attributed this sentiment to the growing narrative around the debasement of fiat currencies, which he says makes Bitcoin a good investment. The prominent Wall Street executive added that his decision to promote BTC comes after he was skeptical of blockchain and cryptocurrencies for a while. Dan Tapiero, who has me blocked because I got into a shit about it, some, some things a couple of weeks back, who published the tweet about Ball's advocacy of Bitcoin is also bullish on the cryptocurrency. The Gold Bullion co-founder has explained in a recent analysis that the price of BTC could literally rally five to ten times this cycle due to macroeconomic trends. Quote, tremendous long-term log chart of Bitcoin projects up to five to ten X on this run, just breaking up now. Should last a few years as 2.5 year consolidation is fantastic base for catapult up break of old highs. We'll have explosive follow through time to sit and be patient, end quote. Even with these figures and others optimistic about Bitcoin, Schiff has not been convinced to cross the Rubicon and he may never, he may die, he may die on that hill. Uh, but you know, his investors have people that have listened to Peter Schiff and, and, you know, bought into whatever products, financial products or whatever that he's, uh, uh, promoting for himself haven't done well, but Peter Schiff himself, you know, may do well. It depends on what Peter Schiff is actually into because I, again, I don't have a problem with gold. I, the only problem that I have with gold is the fact that it's really hard to transact with it across the internet, you know, or, or any kind of communications channel. I can, I can transmit, I mean, well, I haven't, okay. I haven't actually done it, but it is possible to transmit a partially signed Bitcoin transaction or a full-blown Bitcoin transaction and quite possibly in the future, lightning transactions across radio traffic. I could probably have a uh, program analyze a full Bitcoin transaction that I want to make and turn it into Morse code. That's one of the reasons why the big block, uh, the big blocker stuff uh, and like these, I don't know, Blockchains that have massive obfuscation in their complexity. Yeah, that, I, I am parroting that narrative because it is true. The complexity or obfuscation, uh, how to say this, Ethereum and things like it uh, obfuscates the truth because of the narrative of their complexity. Oh, look at all this. Look at all that. And here's how we do this. And here's... And we've got 12 different kinds of nodes and all this bullshit. And all it is, is a way to hide what's really going on. And that is no economic theory that was worth a damn, right? So with all that complexity, it makes it very, very difficult to do something simple like use LochaNet or some other mesh network to relay a lightning transaction, okay? It's going to be impossible for those guys to do that. That's why that's the only thing that I don't like about gold. That and it's really heavy. Okay, so if I'm if I need to trans if I, for whatever reason I was in a situation where I needed to transport like a couple of hundred million dollars worth of gold, I've been I've been through that before. The the fuel cost, the rent rental of the trucks, the security that you've got to have, everything about it is like oh my god, just send Bitcoin. Oh dude. Uh, let's see here. Uh, completely valueless Wi-Fi token rises by 53% overnight. Decrypt staff writing this one for decrypt.co, uh, August the 16th. Let's see what's going on here. Uh, Wi-Fi, the governance token of yearn.finance continues to rise in the past 24 hours. It's risen a staggering 53% from lows of 4,198 to highs of 6,000. 435 that that's actually the numbers that they're giving me so I, i'm not exactly since i don't watch it all that much i'm not sure if that's the actual price or if it's four dollars and 19 eight you know 19 cents or and six dollars and 43 cents who knows i don't give a shit 
but we do need to give a shit about the fact that this crap is out there. Okay. So if, if you're thinking that I'm shilling this, no, this is a warning and all this for a token described by its team as a completely valueless zero supply token. According to the blog post, June 27th, we reiterate it has zero financial value. And that's a direct quote. Yearn.finance is a decentralized finance protocol that lets its users earn interest on cryptocurrency deposited within its smart contracts. According to metric site DeFi Pulse, Yearn.finance is the sixth largest DeFi protocol with $585.3 million wrapped up in its smart contracts. Wi-Fi, this is literally Y-F-I, is a governance token. It rewards depositors for using the protocol kind of like a loyalty scheme. It also lets holders vote on the future of the network. Wi-Fi came out at the end of June. Other large DeFi protocols, including Compound and Aave, followed with their own governance tokens, which also soared in value. In fact, the whole DeFi boomed after these governance tokens took off. As of August 16th, $5.95 billion is locked in DeFi smart contracts. When Wi-Fi launched, just $1.68 billion was locked up in DeFi. Wi-Fi's rise is its second this week. Between Monday and Tuesday, Wi-Fi rose from, okay, yeah, 4,500 to 5,868, an increase of 30%, but today's rise could be Wi-Fi's largest yet. All right, okay. I love how it doesn't explain anything about what the fuck DeFi is. Nothing. Nothing. What the hell is this? Wi-Fi is a governance token, and it rewards depositors for using the protocol. Kind of like a loyalty scheme. That's what I'm reading directly back into the middle of this, this article. It also lets holders vote on the future of the network. Where does the yield come from? If I put, if I stake some, if I buy this crap and I stake it, I guess, where do my profits come from? What is being done on the other end? I went through this on Friday um, during uh, Adam Meister's show, which uh, he was uh, really kind to have me on. I think this is the fourth time I've been on his show. That was my question then, and it's still my question today. I know where to go buy the freaking token. Where do I get the loan? Okay, well, so I go over to yearn.finance and I go to the about page and it, let's see what the about page says. The yearn.finance ecosystem consists of the following products. Yearn.finance, profit switching lender to optimize lending yields, which is live. Ytrade.finance, leverage stablecoin trades, which is in testnet. YLiquidate.finance, zero capital automated liquidations for Aave, also testnet. YSwap.exchange, single-sided automated market maker, which is live, and I don't even know what. I, and here we go. iBorrow.finance, credit delegation vaults for smart contract and smart contract lending, which is testnet. So I can't go get a loan from Yearn. I, I can buy their token, but I can't get a loan from them. Yeah, let that sink in. And what the hell does smart contract to smart contract lending actually even mean? So I don't know, maybe I'll click the button. I borrow dot finance. Let, let's see what it takes me to. This project is in beta. Use at your own risk. Connect your wallet to continue and then a connect button. There's absolutely no information about this. In fact, if we go through these, uh, Yearn Finance, let's see what Yearn Finance has to say. Uh, I got four buttons, I got Zap, I got APR, I got Vaults, I got Earn. Oh, okay, so under Earn, I, I go to that one, it says, oh, this project is in beta, use at your own risk. Earn interest, simple, and then a button for connect wallet. Zap. Let's see what Zap has to say here. Uh, oh, Zap. Oh, Zap button doesn't even work. Okay. Uh, APR. Oh no no no. Oh, I'm sorry. Zap does work. It just says exactly the same shit. This project is in beta. Use it your own risk. Zap in and out. Simple. And then a button for connect wallet. Vaults. Let's see what Vaults has to say. Oh, this project is in beta. Use it your own risk. Vaults. Simple. 
connect wallet. I mean, there's no info. Like, what? What am I connecting for? What is it for? I mean, I can't. Again, I mean, am I supposed to get yield farm on interest of loans that are being made? And if if they're making the loans, I mean, are the people that are getting the loans creditworthy? This is all just going to end in fire. Okay, just absolute fire. Um, we won't get into all this, but the Ethereum 2 testnet crashed uh, sometime during the weekend. Let's see if there's anything brief that we can say about it because I got a long list here. Uh, the Ethereum 2.0 testnet network crashed this Friday and is unable to reach finality with it stuck currently. A time-related bug brought down Prism which quite astonishingly is being used by the vast majority of validators despite there being five clients. It seems Prism was the only client to provide a nice tutorial on, tutorial on how to onboard, so everyone has ignored our repeated suggestion to use different clients <laughs> because of how slashing works. Everyone on Prism got slashed here because there was some sort of error with a time synchronizer going four hours into the future, giving an error, quote, warn rough time, rough time reports, your clock is off by more than two seconds. Offset equals four, homo dot zero two, and then some other numbers, end quote. So your clock has to be synchronized within two seconds with, with the other stuff, with the other stuff? Are you, two seconds, really, across the internet. What do you think this is? Freaking atomic clock time? She's okay. Did, uh, you know, we'll, you know, I'll do more on that probably on Tuesday show after we figure out exactly what the hell happened. Okay. Back to regular shit. MIT and Boston Fed launched collaboration to explore digital currency in banking. Daily Hodel staff writing it for the Daily Hodel August the 16th. The Federal Reserve Bank of Boston has partnered with MIT for research on a digital currency oriented to, for, oh, to central bank use. In her speech to the Federal Reserve Bank on, of San Francisco, Fed Governor Lael Brainyard says that the program will build and test the potential use cases of a central bank digital currency. She explains that the reserve needs to understand the benefits and threats posed by digital currencies amid interest in creating United States government-backed digital coin. Quote, like other central banks, we are continuing to access or assess the opportunities and challenges of, as well as the use cases for a CBDC. As a complement to cash and other payment options, there continues to be a strong demand for U.S. currency, and we remain committed to ensuring the public has access to a range of payment options. The first phase of the multi-year project will explore the general use, per, general purpose uses of the CBDC, which will look into the architecture of a cryptographic platform that can address the requirements of a fast, secure, resilient, and privacy-focused CBDC. <laughs> privacy-focused? Bullshit. <laughs> Quote, in later phases, researchers will assess technology trade-offs by coding and testing various architectures to see how they will impact the CBDC's design goals. End quote. The research involves a hypothetical coin. Brainyard says the Fed is not yet in a position to issue a digital currency because doing so requires significant policy processes and discussions with other parts of the federal government and other stakeholders. Oh, going to take a little swim through the swamp. That should be fun for you guys. Let me know how that shit turns out. How an anti-meme coin joke backfired into a $1.2 million meme coin. And no, I am not talking about Dogecoin because that's exactly how Dogecoin was, was born. Consensus developer Jordan Lyall, or Lyle, poked fun at the rapid uptick of DeFi projects on Twitter. Then someone... Uh, then turned his joke into an actual meme coin. This is Matthew DeSalvo writing it on August the 15th for Decrypt.co. The latest meme coin, cash tag meme, M-E-M-E, -E, was birthed accidentally when an anti-meme coin developer poked fun at meme coins. Less than a day later, the, the cash tag meme is closing in on $1 million in daily trading volume. Jeez, just the amount of stupid in this space. I was commenting on the silliness of it all, but in doing that, I've created the very thing I sought to destroy. The anti-meme coin satirist Jordan Lyall told Decrypt. 
That sounds exactly like the creator of Dogecoin. Oh, well. Lyle, otherwise, Consensus's decentralized finance product lead last night posted a mock-up of a DeFi project called The Degenerator that lets users spin up a new DeFi project in as little as five minutes. It was a comment on the recent trend of meme, meme coins. A new one blows up almost every week. The joke went viral, attracting 1,200 likes and hundreds of retweets and comments. It was so popular, in fact, that to Lyle's, whatever, shock, someone had minted, quote, the degenerator, a meme coin based on the idea, just a matter of hours after his original tweet. A short while later, degenerator, printed as meme on exchanges, was listed on CoinGecko. At its peak, people traded $1.2 million of the coin, which is worth $40. Quote, this is insane, Lyle told Decrypt. And then here's the tweet. Please stop buying meme, guys. This is getting out of hand. You will probably lose money. It's literally a meme token that's now in the hands of the community. It does literally nothing unless they want it to. Oh. Quote, it all happened so fast. It was fun to watch play out and see a silly idea turn into a community and create value from thin air, he said. But the coin's since taken on a life of its own. Lyall's telegram group for the project already has 865 members who've dispatched with degenerator branding and are riding high on the meme name. Trading has since dipped and the coin's currently worth about $7. Quote, it shows just how quickly these things spin up and out of control, he said. Meme is represented by a pineapple lifted from Lyall's mock-up of a riff on Yam a recent DeFi project that drew in a jaw-dropping $400 million from investors in 24 hours, only for its creators to realize a few day, in a few days that its smart contracts were flawed and that everyone should immediately take out their money. Yam followed Tendi as a meme coin based on chicken nuggets that at its peak topped $10 million in daily trading volume. Meme coins are not just harmless fun. Quote, someone could lose money, said Lyle. The meme coin is a very risky type of investment. It's fluctuating all over the place. Pump and dump whales are all over it. Oh my God. Lyle told us that whoever launched the token has no idea. He has no idea who's behind the project. Spend about $400 in gas to submit the smart contract. He also said that the two anonymous developers have expressed a real interest in building the product of his mock project, a system that literally generates clones of real DeFi protocols. The DeFi movement, which refers to non-custodial financial platforms that run on Ethereum, has exploded with popularity since coming into existence just a couple of years ago. Yesterday, the market broke a new record. $5 billion locked into DeFi smart contracts. But Lyle doesn't want us to get lost in the hype and buy into meme coins. DeFi's weird spawn, quote, people should stay away from these projects unless they know the risks, he said. Oh... I love it. The, De the DeFi movement refers to a non-custodial financial platform that runs on Ethereum. That, I mean, if that's the explanation of what DeFi is, then you've explained absolutely nothing. Nobody knows what DeFi is. Nobody. There's not a, I, I don't know of a single place to go get a loan, but I know where to go buy the coin. This should raise flags everywhere. Elon must drop some knowledge and wild discussion on future of Bitcoin and gold. Daily Hodel staff writing for Daily Hodel sometime yesterday. Let's see. Tech Titan and SpaceX Chief Executive Officer Elon Musk is endorsing recent remarks made by crypto entrepreneurs Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss that Bitcoin is a safer investment than gold because of near-Earth asteroids filled with staggering amounts of precious metals. During their meeting with Barstool Sports founder and day trader Dave Portnoy, the Winklevi said the scarcity of gold is an illusion since billions of dollars worth of the metal exists in asteroids and that Elon Musk's may mine them in the future. Quote, that's why gold is a problem, because the supply isn't fixed like Bitcoin. End quote. When Portnoy asked Musk, about his thoughts on the twin statement, the SpaceX CEO responded with a link to an article about NASA's plans to visit Psyche 13, 13, 16, an asteroid with huge volumes of precious metals, including gold and platinum. The article indicates that the metals in the space rock are worth 10,000 quadrillion dollars. Let me say that again. 
10,000 quadrillion dollars. I am assuming that that means 10 pentillion dollars, if pentillion is even a word, which author Harry Pettit points out is an amount large enough to destroy commodity prices and threaten the world's economy. Portnoy, who previously criticized Bitcoin, claims to have bought $200,000 in BTC after meeting with the twins. Following Musk's response, he says he wants the leading cryptocurrency to surge to $12,000. At time of writing, the king coin is worth $11,839.33, according to coin market cap. Now, we got into this a little bit during uh, the discussion with on uh, Adam Meister's show <clears throat> this week in Bitcoin. And uh, there's there's a lot of nuance about this stuff. And the first nuance is that it is not entirely, I'm not entirely sure whether or not it's that the, the notion of mining this asteroid and sending the gold back to Earth is, is impossible. I, I'm not sure that it's impossible. And the reason is because I pretty much lost all my preconceptions of what we were going to do in space when I saw Elon Musk land the uh, solid rocket boosters onto a platform in the middle of the Pacific uh, in relatively high seas and it not fall over and then landing more and more and more. I think well within my lifetime, we're probably going to end up getting to an asteroid that's got a large amount of gold. As that gold is pulled up in like maybe even just like the like a, a lasered out or something like that with a in just a fist fist sized chunk of gold. At out there, it doesn't it takes almost nothing to launch a chunk of gold. You could do it with a gas cannon. You could literally put it in a cannon and have some kind of propellant like, I don't know, uh, nitrogen or something, or, or God forbid, gas pockets that they might actually find on the asteroids in questions themselves, and just a brief puff. Literally, it would only take just a small puff. You don't need thousands of gallons of rocket fuel to do this shit, okay? It, because gravity is so low on what you'd be mining, in comparison to trying to do a hard launch off of Earth, that pound of gold or two or three pounds of gold that is fist size could just be kind of blown out into space on a very long path and the trajectory takes it into the atmosphere. It might be actually wrapped in something that will take the brunt of reentry and the location of where it would drop on the Earth would be fairly well known. If it wasn't, we would not have been able to recover astronauts all this time. I'm just saying, don't count asteroid mining out, okay? Uh, because to do so, uh, that, might, that might come back to bite us in the ass. Let's run the numbers. All right, well, it's too damn early to do... Um, it's too damn early to do major markets because I'm recording this pretty, pretty early in the morning and it does not look like the markets have opened. So we're going to have to jump on over to real money. Bitcoin crossed $12,000 again. It is sitting at 12106 bucks. I got a high over at, looks like Bit Asset is showing it at 12182 and that, okay, so the 12,106 is actually the low. So that's, you know, about, you know, I don't know, 80 bucks. We have 300,000 transactions in Bitcoin done over the last 24 hours. That gives us about 12,700 transactions on average per hour. Oh my God. With 2.5 million Bitcoin trading hands. That's over a weekend. This never happens. This does, this never ever happens. I mean, this is Monday morning. I should be seeing 875,000 BTC. I've seen it on like on a Monday morning. I've seen it as low as 600,000. That was weeks or months ago, but I've seen it. I've seen almost getting up to a million dollar, a million Bitcoin on, uh, on a Monday, but I've never seen 2.5 million traded in the last 24 hours on a Monday morning. 
That's an average of 104,000 BTC changing hands every single hour with an average transaction value of 8.2 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.028 BTC, 344 bucks. That tells me that there's a shit ton more massive market buys which suggest institutional or whale trading than there is people using Bitcoin on, you know, to purchase things like computers and, and all the stuff that you can buy with it. Block times are at 10 minutes and four seconds. We have 0.42 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 60 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a hash rate move down. Uh, let's see, 8.2% to the downside uh, rings us in at 124.3 exahashes per second. Ethereum, uh, 430. Bcash, 314. Litecoin is at 64. BSV is at 224. Ethereum Classic has risen to 7.5. Dogecoin got a massive bump, 0.0036. And at 63,700 transactions in the last 24 hours, it's wiping the floor with Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, and of course, Bcash coming in at, I don't know, a little over 16,000 transactions. God, what, what an embarrassment. Uh, Clark Moody Bitcoin is showing the price of Bitcoin at 12,134. It looks like the mempool, whatever mempool he's, Clark Moody is looking at, has 18,993 transactions waiting to clear, and that's going to take 12 blocks to do so. 993.5 BTC are in the Lightning Network for total capacity. That's $12.1 million of liquidity spread across 7,362 nodes, representing 36,557 channels. Tor capacity has risen to another all-time high, 45.7%. That's a pretty big bump since Friday. That is 454.38 BTC on the Tor side of the Lightning Network. And there are 2,166 Tor Lightning nodes. That's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to round two of the morning roundup. This is going to be from, of all places, tradingview.com. They have a little blurb that they've published, I guess, in their view. They've made like their own little chart and made some notes. So it's sort of like a little news story. Let's see what they have to say. Tesla and Bitcoin, the most viewed assets in America. And of course, they start out with a chart of Tesla, but here's the wordage. Tesla stock is the most viewed asset in America. Our data shows that through July, Tesla was the most viewed stock in 31 states. Bitcoin was not far behind. Since the start of the year, Tesla stock has almost tripled in price. Meanwhile, Bitcoin is up 60% year to date. Our findings also show the Southeast favors Forex and the West Coast states of California, Washington, and Oregon lean toward Bitcoin. The West Coast loves crypto the most. We also look into the airline industry, arguably, arguably being hardest hit by COVID. Stocks in this sector, including Boeing and American Airlines, saw favor among investors between March and June. Boeing was the third most viewed stock and American Airlines the 10th. It's clear that the global pandemic brought increased volatility to the airline sector. And with that came additional interest from traders and investors. So there you go. I mean, there's a little bit more, but it's, it's interesting to note that Bitcoin is the number two stock most viewed on TradingView. And if you don't know what TradingView is, uh, you can go to tradingview.com, grab a chart, you know, like sign up and you can, you can do a lot of charting, a lot of charting stuff for free. And that's what I use because guess what? I'm not a trader, but there are some things about looking at the chart. There, there is some information there. So I look at that, but since I'm not a trader, I don't need the tools where you got to pay for their pro subscription or whatever. Right. So but yeah, that's tradingview.com. Most of the degenerate traders out there use TradingView, and that's why the story about Bitcoin being the most important or the second most looked at chart in TradingView is uh, kind of important. Donald Trump says he'll start looking at pardoning Edward Snowden. Really? Cointelegraphs, Turner Wright, uh, writing this one about nine hours ago. 
U.S. President said during a press conference that he would consider allowing Edward Snowden to return from his seven-year exile in Russia. Uh, according to an August 15th report from Reuters, Trump said he was going to start looking at the possible, possible pardon of, for the whistleblower who has been living in asylum in Russia since he left the U.S. in 2013. The comments came shortly after Trump told the Post a lot of people think that Snowden is not being treated fairly. In a Twitter response to Trump's comments, Snowden said, quote, The last time we heard a White House considering a pardon was 2016, when the very same attorney general who once charged me concluded or conceded that on balance. My work in exposing the NSA's unconstitutional system of mass surveillance had been, quote, a public service, end quote. Under Section 2 of the United States Constitution, a sitting president has the power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States. Snowden still faces federal charges for violating the Espionage Act of 1917 and theft of government property. Should the United States president invoke this authority, it would make the former National Security Agency contractor the 26th person Trump has pardoned since taking office in January of 2017. From exile in Russia, Snowden has often expressed his opinions on Bitcoin, even voicing concerns over its blockchain as devastatingly public. The servers Snowden used back in 2013 to leak thousands of documents to journalists were reportedly paid for using Bitcoin. In addition, the whistleblower said that he felt like buying Bitcoin during the March downturn when the price of the coin dropped to 3782 bucks. So, there you go. Snowden may, you know, you never know. He may get off the hook. But who really needs to get off the hook is Ross Ulbricht, uh, Dread Pirate Roberts. He needs to be pardoned. And honestly, if this dude wants to get reelected, he's probably going to have to pardon Snowden. And if he wants to pad, he's going to need to pardon uh, Ross Ulbricht as well. Because these guys don't need to be seeing the inside of a jail cell for what they've done for the world. And if I know, if you're throwing your earbuds out the window because I just said that, I don't know what to tell you, man. I mean, we're being looked at in ways that we shouldn't be looked at. If the United States government was looking at my daughter the way that they look at me, I'd beat the shit out of them. Honestly, they don't need to know. It's not their, any of their freaking business. So when we found out about the mass surveillance, in my opinion, it was a public service. Because honestly, none of us would have ever known we would have continued to theorize and we would have been right, but we never would have had that confirmed. Okay, this is probably, uh, I'm going to read you this because uh, I've been talking a lot about wrapped BTC lately on Twitter and in a couple of other places. Uh, let's just do this. August 15th for Coindesk, uh, Zach Vol is writing this. Bitcoin, it, Bitcoins are being tokenized faster than their mind as DeFi craze continues. And this is going to end up being yet another one of the bullet point news stories that I'm seeing come out of Coindesk more and more. Guys, come on, man. Dude, that, this is an outline at best. D please do better or at least freaking try. Okay, but here we go because I need to make some comments here. Since Sunday, 1,043 more Bitcoin were tokenized through wrapped BTC than were actually created by Bitcoin miners as the Ethereum-based decentralized finance boom shows no sign of abating. Point one, about 900 Bitcoins are mined per day given the current issuance rate of 6.25 Bitcoin minted per, tar per block in the target 10-minute block time. Two, at last check, Nearly 31,000 Bitcoin have been tokenized on Ethereum. According to Dune Analytics, 75% were minted by wrapped BTC. Come back to that bullshit. Ethereum's supply of tokenized Bitcoin hovers below 3,000 until mid-May when the rate of new tokens shot up. The rate of Bitcoin tokenization signals the surging demand to use Bitcoin in the burgeoning network of Ethereum-based DeFi applications. Quote, WBTC, wrapped Bitcoin, quote unquote, continues to exhibit strong growth for demand, or as demand for Bitcoin in DeFi has exploded, said Kyle Davies, co-founder of Three Arrows Capital. In a private message with Coindesk, I expect this trend to continue. It'll continue until it doesn't. And when it doesn't is when people get hurt. In July, Three Arrows Capital 
minted its tokenized Bitcoins through BitGo, the company that helped Spearhead wrapped Bitcoin in 2019. Within a year, WBTC will be a first-class asset in the decentralized finance ecosystem, predicted Three Hour Arrows co-founder Shuju, just as UDC, USDC and USDT are now. Complete bullshit. All right, now, what exactly do I mean? Am I saying that WBTC doesn't exist? No, it exists. Are these numbers correct? Yeah, they're correct. But they have nothing to do with Bitcoin. You see, the, the, whole, the whole narrative of a wrapped BTC, just by saying that, is false. There's no such thing as a wrapper for BTC. What it is, okay, yeah, let's start there. What it is, I send Bitcoin to, I guess, BitGo and buy this other token called wrapped BTC. It's just a token. It's an ERC-20 or some such shit. And it exists on the Ethereum blockchain. Ethereum and Bitcoin don't talk. But these people that talk about wrapped BTC will tell you that, in fact, that they do talk. Because, look, we can take BTC and we can put it on the Ethereum blockchain. That is a lie. There is no way to put Bitcoin on the Ethereum blockchain. When I send my actual Bitcoin to BitGo or whoever is going to offer me this wrapped nugget of shit called wrapped BTC, they keep that Bitcoin and they issue me this token on Ethereum. But the Bitcoin itself can't go to Ethereum, right? They keep it, <laughs> they keep it in a, as a custodial, as a custodian but it remains on the Bitcoin network because it can't go anywhere else and you don't want it to go anywhere else. Bitcoin never can go to Ethereum. And if you want to prove it to yourself, you grab yourself an Ethereum address, just an Ethereum address wallet or any of the other wallets. Any, pick any ERC-20 or ERC-5550, screw you or whatever it is. And you send Bitcoin to that address and you see what happens. No, I, I actually don't recommend doing that. But if you want to be a complete dick and say that I'm wrong, that there's absolutely no such thing as BTC on the Ethereum blockchain, then you get your BTC and you send some from your Bitcoin wallet over to any Ethereum address and you watch what happens. There's no such thing as Bitcoin on Ethereum, period, forever. Now, for those people who go, okay, fine, I'm good with that. I will let this, I will, I will still, I still want wrapped BTC. Why? Why? At that point, it doesn't make any sense. It's just gaslighting. It's just gaslighting. This is one of the heaviest lies that you're going to hear out of anybody that hates Bitcoin in saying that, see how much Bitcoin is being liquid, like almost like liquidated out of the chain, out of the Bitcoin chain to some other chain and it's impossible to do. You can't move Bitcoin anywhere but to another Bitcoin wallet. I'm telling you, man, these people are gonna get people hurt again. It's like they just, it's like they just don't care and it's really, really sad. Uh, let's see what else is up here. <clears throat> oh, former Florida tax collector used public funds for a blockchain company. A different kind of scam. Well, probably not. Amelia Davis writing for Cointelegraph sometime yesterday. A former Florida tax collector was found to have used public funds to set up a blockchain company in a report from the Orlando Sentinel. Former Seminole County tax collector Joel Greenberg billed the tax collector's office $65,000 to buy computer service for a company he was setting up called Government Blockchain Systems, LLC. Greenberg then reportedly returned the money in a series of checks. <laughs> because that was the, his whoops moment. Greenberg allegedly billed the tax collector's office for 20 servers in September 2019, and the next day the public office cut a check to government blockchain systems. The company, on the other hand, gave the office a receipt that it had bought 15 out of the 20 servers. The Orlando Sentinel said it's unclear why only 15 servers were bought. 
Government blockchain systems was registered in July 2019 and listed both Greenberg and Samuel Arms, president of the Florida Blockchain Business Association. Arms was hired by the tax office as a blockchain advocate and legislative affairs director, but left in December. One of the tax collector's offices was listed as the company's primary address. The company was dissolved in May. Greenberg told the newspaper the company wanted to create a system that would migrate residents' information from driver's licenses to a secure blockchain. Florida has indicted Greenberg for stalking a political opponent. You know, only in Florida, I wish John Seth and, uh, oh, what was that? Oh, I can't remember his, John Seth's friend's name. Uh, it, yeah, I know, you're yelling at me. I get it. No, it's not going to happen. Neurons are too, are too fried. Uh, the, the, the original Florida men themselves being able to comment on this would be absolutely appropriate because this sounds like it's right up their alley and laughing at lending protocol Ave eyes tokenized mortgages with launch of version two writing this for CoinDesk August the 14th. William Foxley has yet another bullet list. These are not stories guys. These are not articles. These are outlines. Please stop doing this. Decentralized money market Ave has released specifications for version two of its protocol as the project eyes $1 billion locked under contract, according to DeFi Pulse. Now, remember, just before we begin this, and it's not long, but this is all part of the DeFi scam, okay? All of it is just, this is terrible. And you're going to make little kids rich. And they're going to laugh at you later. So don't, don't take part of DeFi. Ave will partner with real estate tokenization firm Realty, get it? Real and a capital T at the end, to bring home to bring home mortgages to DeFi. Realty did not return questions for comment by press time, probably because they don't know what's going on. Version two will also include transaction fee optimizations such as native support for smart contract gas tokens. As reported by Coindesk, Ave announced plans to transition to a fully autonomous and decentralized protocol through its Genesis governance and Ave Improvement Proposals AIP scheme. Quote, V2 takes DeFi compatibility beyond what we have seen, Ave founder Stani Kulechov told Coindesk in an email. For example, V2 will introduce the ability to swap debt from one currency to another and the ability to swap collateral without returning the loan, he said. This, the amount of danger here is staggering. It's just staggering. How a repeat of the Roaring Twenties could boost Bitcoin adoption. Tony Spilotro, Spilotro, okay, Spilotro. I guess that's how you pronounce it. He's writing it for Bitcoinist sometime on the uh, 14th. The 2020s have drawn comparisons to the 1920s for several reasons. The Roaring Twenties was a tough time for the world, but what came out of it was prosperity and a technological renaissance. If the same happens again, as analysts predict, it could be a major boost to Bitcoin adoption. And here's why. Before the pandemic hit, There was nothing but positivity going into 2020. Yeah, I already call bullshit. But just as people prepared Roaring Twenties parties on the New Year's Eve, an outbreak was unfolding across the globe. Oh my God, we're all going to die. No, no. But the themes were correct in concept. Everything about the 20s thus far has been roaring. The stock market, crypto, and gold prices have been booming. And so have citizens in protest all across the world. Back in the 20s, the world had just been hit by a similar pandemic the Spanish flu in 1918. At the end of the decade, the stock market also experienced a significant crash, much like what we witnessed on Black Thursday this past March. In 1929, it was dubbed Black Tuesday, and it kicked off the Great Depression. And while the similar economic depression may be ahead, analysts claim there are still enough years left to close the decade out in prosperity. So far, the 2020s has started with a pandemic, but there are plenty of years left for the prosperous 1920s to become a precedent for the current decade, says Ed Yardeni, chief investment strategist at Yardeni Research. He points out that the 1920s eventually led the United States to become the economic superpower it is today. It also began a technological revolution that, if repeated, could be the boost Bitcoin has needed. 
He also calls attention to the similarities between the two decades reaching a similar point of technological revolution. The Roaring Twenties gave way to a historic transformation in technology-driven productivity. There was an enormous boost to electrical infrastructure, and through that, new methods of manufacturing and transportation came to be. The Ford Model T was produced during this time, making a prime example of the sudden growth in the adoption of new technologies. In 1900, just 8,000 motor calls were registered by the U.S. By the time 1920 rolled around, there were 9 million, and by 1929, that number rose to 23 million. Today, all those infrastructures are in place. Any revolution will be in microtechnologies powered by these existing processes. Yardeni specifically points to technologies like blockchain, 3D printing, AI, robotics, and more. In a prior book, Yardeni was quoted as saying, economics is about using technology to increase everyone's standard of living. I disagree. I don't think that's the definition. A technology-driven future where the economics increases everyone's standard of living sounds a lot like Bitcoin's ultimate goal. The assets decentralized network was designed to make it better money for all, unable to be counterfeited, cryptographically protected, and completely non-sovereign. Times of technological prosperity, as the Ford Model T has shown, can create perfect storms for technology to be adopted. In the 20s, or if the 20s do continue to roar, it could be the boost to Bitcoin adoption that the budding technology needs. Right. Right. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right. Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Gibbous. Uh, that is going to be, let's see here. Let me make sure. Uh, at underscore G-I-B-U-S underscore. Uh, I talked a little bit about, oh God. No, that was BitGo. This is about BitPay, so it's it's unrelated. Sorry about that. But it, he says, so I made a payment through BitPay got confirmed within 40 seconds and I received an email along the lines of, you paid too small of a fee. Bitcoin will fuck up. Here's how to get a refund. Let me explain why it's a train wreck. Let me just read it again. He made a Bitcoin payment through Bit, Bitcoin, BitPay. Okay, a Bitcoin payment through BitPay. It got confirmed within 40 seconds. And they sent him an email letter later saying that because he paid too small of a fee, it was probably not going to go through. So the left hand is not talking to the right hand. But what brought this to my attention was was a screenshot he took of, of his reply where he, he wrote to BitPay from his email account. And he says, hello there. May I bring your attention to the following facts? First, no block, no confirmation. Don't tell me I underpaid fees when the transaction got confirmed in the very next block. Second, you are one of the most despicable companies in our ecosystem, slowing down advancement of human beings and all of society. Third, you will be obsoleted thanks to Nicholas Dorier and the BTC pay server community. Fourth, may you rot in hell after that. Fifth, fuck you. You are wrong in so many ways it's not funny. With the utmost sincerity, a real Bitcoiner. Yeah, man, I mean, that. I, I know it's not the best train wreck, but it's definitely a train wreck. I, I, I go through BitPay. I make a payment on Bitcoin. It gets confirmed in the next block. I can see that independently of what's going on. And then BitPay sends me an email saying that that transaction is probably not going to go through. Don't trust BitPay. Don't use them. I hope I hope Gibbous stops using BitPay is, is all I can say. So anyway, there's your smoldering pile. Introducing Lisa Dixon to the show for uh, Terrible Joke Corner. Yeah, she has no idea what she got into when she was doing a Twitter uh, Twitter back and forth with me, but I, I, I just picked this one up. It says, excuse me, are you a treadmill? Because you're too pretty to walk all over. Now I'd, I'd play the sound effect, but I got another one. Plus this is more of a 
terrible pickup line, which is its own genre of jokes, okay? I do dad jokes. And early morning, let's see, it was early uh, yesterday morning, I, I, liter- I woke up and I had a dad joke in my head. One that, one that I made. Here it is. I tried to tell my son about the dangers of not using sunscreen. He just doesn't understand. Yeah, I hope that one hurt. I hope it does. I hope it does because it's Monday. I got Ethereum testnet 2 failures. I've got them depending on uh, clocks synchronizing over the internet within two seconds. Speed of light, people. Speed of light has an impact here. It doesn't matter if you've got the most broadbandest MF or, you know, internet connection in the world. It does not matter. You can't sync across the face of the planet within two seconds with either an external clock, talking to another node. This, again, is one of the reasons why I like Bitcoin. Slow, dumb, stupid, rock solid, battle-tested. We know it works. It's been working for 11 years. Let that sink in. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.